on your part. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. All things track and field related. Go to ontrackandfield.com. Literally, just type in your Google browser, ontrackandfield.com. It's all run word. Doesn't matter if it's uppercase or lowercase. It's going to get you where you need to go. They have what you need to run a very successful program and give your, your kids, your athletes, your coaches the best opportunity to see the most success. Because I'm speaking from experience. I'm a head coach and they do exactly what... I need them to do in a timely manner. It's affordable. It's just, they're a pleasure to work with. OnTrackAndField.com. They're the sole and exclusive partnership of this podcast, and it's a pleasure to work with them. Right now is with me is Coach Gabe Sanders, who coached 16 All-Americans, 17 NCAA finalists while at Stanford. And then he was named the Boston University's Director of Track and Field and Cross Country in 2019. Strong background in sprints and hurdles, which is near and dear to my heart. Coach Sanders has been successful at any place he goes. He's too humble to say that, so I'll say it for him. If you follow him on social media, it's evident that he's intelligent. He shows a considerable amount of care for his athletes, as just not just athletes, but people. He's also a great interview. Uh, I've struck up a friendship with him a while ago, so it's really great to have him. Thanks for joining me, Coach. <laughs> Jake, no pressure, man. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Just like I was saying before the podcast, we don't beat around the bush. We get right into it. One thing that I'm interested about what you do is how you mentor and care for your kids, those athletes that come to Boston University. And I'm only seeing probably a very, very surface level on social media. Can you explain to me like how you care for freshmen through seniors or even like, you know, kids in their graduate programs, kids that come to you, boys and girls, how do you care for them? Not just make them faster, or jump further. Well, I think one of the overarching things to get people to understand that you care is to talk about caring really comes back to process is getting them to understand that you care about their process, not their final result per se and their journey. Right. Because so for instance, you know, a knee jerk reaction is if someone is, you know, not doing well academically in my setting, right. Whether if they're, you know, they're flunking exams if they're not going to study hall or whatnot. It, it's not as much, you know, when I was younger, it's what's going on? Why is this person not doing X, Y, Z? It's more so, hey, what's going on and how can I help you in your process, right? And how can I help you grow in your process in life? And it might not be as exact, but those are the actions that take place, right? And, it's ta- and we talk about skills, habits, expectations, standards, You know, that's one of our things, our mantras really is be the standard, be you here at Boston University. Oh, that's that's very clever. Very clever. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the whole thing, our whole mission and vision statement is uh, be excellent, be elite, be the standard, be you. That's, that's, that's our mantra, right? And that's what we try and execute in everything that we do. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting people to understand what their processes and what they, what it needs to look like. And as simple as not always talking to them about track and how it's, how that's going, but how are things going academically? If you do things right in the recruiting process, you should have a little bit of an idea of their family background. So you should have a little bit of an idea if, you know, that person is really close knit with their family and you ask, you might ask them, Hey, when's the last time you called mom and dad? Right. It might be a situation where, you know, they're coming from a hard 
socioeconomic background, a family background, and you just check in and, hey, when's the last time you talked to mom and talked to dad? How are they doing? Right? You might know that, <clears throat> excuse me, you might know that they're a first generation college student. And they might need a little bit more check-in than someone that is a third-generation college student, per se. And you might offer to take them out to lunch. Now, let me be clear. When I say take them out to lunch, that means going to lunch with them, <laughs> right? I, I can't treat them to lunch or anything like that. But I've had, you know, anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen lunches this past term just to shoot the breeze. No particular agenda at all. Like, hey, you want to go get you want to go get lunch? Hey, you want to go grab a coffee like or a smoothie or whatever, you know, in the in the dining hall, let's do it. And it's not, hey, let's talk about the next training cycle. Hey, let's talk about how your grades are doing. It's it's all that and more. It's, hey, tell me a little bit more about why you came here. Like, how is that lining up with your reality right now? You know, so the real thing is just making sure they know and understand that you take an interest in them and their process to come full circle. It's amazing what happens when the kids, these athletes start seeing that there's someone that's in their corner, they're affirming them and they're encouraging them and they're helping them as people. I mean, you see that translate to their marks as well. You see yeah. them, especially in track and field, which let's be honest, is 90% your attitude and how you're dealing with things mentally. Um, yeah. yeah. So you're seeing like, I mean, that sounds like a lot of work. How are you even you know, what, what strategies do you do or how do you even manage all these individuals and their personalities and their problems and all these things on your team? How do you, how do you try to figure all that out as a coach? Like, how can I learn from what you're doing? Well, that's exactly just figuring it out. And dude, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still figuring it out and I still fall short more times than I would care to admit. But I'm very open about that with myself, with my student athletes, my staff, my administration, and I always endeavor to be better, you know, and I've said that on multiple occasions in many of our teams, like, guys, I'm doing the best that I can. And I know sometimes I'm going to fall short and I apologize ahead of time. I apologize in the past, but I'm going to continue to try and do better and keep be open-minded and listen to you. Right. I, I think that, is key above all else is acknowledging that you're not going to be perfect. You can't necessarily balance it all perfectly. And there will be shortcomings that you'll learn from and you'll be better from. I think that's just how I've really in the last year to year and a half, especially with the pandemic and all the ins and outs of that time period is understanding it's, it's tough to juggle it all, even not even logistically, but even emotionally it's, it's a lot. Um, you know, this might be a little bit of a tangent than maybe you expected, but, you know, something in, in 2021 that I chose to get give myself, it wasn't a New Year's resolution because, you know, most people do a New Year's like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And you might be good for the first month or two and you might be lucky enough to carry it through April, but then it disappears. So I chose not to do New Year's resolutions, but I decided to give myself themes for the year. And these are things that I've always kind of had in the back of my mind, but I actually decided to name them. And I've still held on to these. I'm going to hold on to my, I'd like to think for the rest of my life. And it's, it started out as three things and then it evolved into four. And it was the theme of patience, the theme of uh, patience, persistence, and peace. And peace 
was originally forgiveness. It was patience, persistence, and forgiveness. But I changed the P's to make it like, you know, three P's. And then I yeah, added sure. I added at the very end something that I think is probably the most important is presence. So patience is knowing that time is going to keep moving on, whether you're ready for it or not. And time is only going to move as fast as it's going to move and as slow as it's going to move. And you have to be patient with your process, patient with yourself and know that not all things are going to come tomorrow or the next week or the next month, but it can come in time. So be patient with yourself and your process. Be persistent along with that. Again, it's, it's almost the same thing as be patient, be persistent in just living your life. Stay persistent in your goals, stay persistent in your efforts, even when you feel like you're not going anywhere. Even if you're only taking one step at a time, it's one step forward or one step up. And then peace or forgiveness, I think at the time was the most important because when I said forgiveness is you have to have the ability to forgive yourself, specifically yourself, because there are going to be many times that you feel like you're going to fall short of giving your best or being your best or being the best version of yourself. and if you don't have the ability to forgive yourself, you're never going to be at peace. So be patient, be persistent, and be at peace with yourself, knowing that you're going to be persistent and get back at it, and also knowing that that persistent effort will take time. So persistence. And finally, be present. Presence. You know, again, this comes back to me over the last year of the pandemic, and as they say, control the controllables, right? I have, as in my later years, I've stopped getting existential in my life. I, I just, <laughs> my mental disposition, I've realized it's not, it's not good for me when I get too existential when it comes to the pandemic or too many things that are just outside of my control, whether it's advocacy, what have you. I'm an advocate. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I but my thing is I need to be present with the, the ground that I'm standing on. If I can be present and control what I can control in my circle, in my house, if I can take care of the four walls of my house, which in my life is my wife, my, my son, my pets, my assistant coaches, and my athletes, then that's really what matters to me. In my, that's, that's what I can control. And I'd like to think there'll be a butterfly effect out into the world as a result of that. So again, to bring it back to how do I manage all of it? I do my best. <laughs> I do my best. So to be a little bit more logistical, something that David Shaw gave me, the head coach at, at Stanford football when I was there, I asked him, what's something that you can give me now that I'm moving on to be a head coach? And he was kind enough to give me 30, 40 minutes of his time when I just, I knocked on the door, told his secretary, hey, is, is coach Shaw in? Uh, it's, I'd like to let him know that I took a job. She's like, okay, one second. And he came out of his office. I don't even know what he was doing. He's like, hey, come on in. And I told him I got the directorship at BU and he congratulated me. And I said, what are some things that, what's something like one takeaway when you got this job that you could give me? He's, and it was something very simple. He said, every, when I first started, every single night before I went to bed, I wrote down 10 things I wanted to get done the next day. 10 things. But he's like, and he said, there were for two reasons. Number one, once I did that, it was out of my mind. I didn't have to wake up the next day and say, okay, what's, what's on the to-do list? Number one. So it was just off. I could put it on a piece of, piece of paper 
and I could put it on my desk or I could put it on my, my dresser and I could forget about it knowing that it's there. I don't need to worry about it because I'll address it. But number two, I did those 10 things knowing there was no way I probably was going to address all 10. I would probably get three at the most four of them done. And that was okay. I could take out two, three, four of them a day and I could add, I could add to the list and I could reorganize. And that's been something even as of late, that's been very helpful to me in my process of, of addressing things on a daily basis and also figuring out, okay, what's a macro issue? What's a micro issue that I can mm-hmm. do, right? So that's one. Two, um, trying to live the deep life. Uh, when I say live the deep life, pick up this book, Deep Work by Cal Newport. It will change your life and how you approach, uh, I guess, efficiency. And his, he hasn't praised the deep, a deep life is a good life. Um, really, it's all about being able to dive deeply and cognitively into cognitively demanding tasks without interruption, which is a skill. It's a physiological and psychological skill. And I think a lot of people that do it don't realize that they're doing it. It's a skill that they have. And a lot of people that don't do it don't realize that it's a skill that you need to develop, you know? So, and so that's something that I've tried to adapt for better or worse in recent years is trying to live a deep life and be a very deep worker and deep thinker. I think that's a shift that you can go to planning, planning ahead as far as you, as far as you can, but being adaptable. Sometimes some people make the mistake of thinking, well, I don't like scheduling everything every day because it's rigid and I don't feel like I have any control. Well, ironically, it's the opposite. You have total control because if you regiment your day, okay, at this time, I'm going to do this, this time I'm going to do this, this time I'm going to do this, and something pops up. Well, the schedule's not rigid. You made it and you can amend it. All you got to do is just rearrange the rest of your day. And maybe you might have to cut something out. So be it, but you have the power to choose what you do with the remaining hours of your day and prioritize as such. Right. right. There's so, freedom in, in like having a schedule, whereas like ser- let it serve as a foundation to the rest of your day. And then you can build on that where you go. Yeah, I completely agree. And that even reminds me of like, I mean, if you thought you were going to listen to this podcast and Coach Sanders and I are going to talk about biomechanics, well, that's going to be next time because you might be finding out to be a really good, successful coach, uh, you don't need a PhD necessarily. <laughs> and you also need to know the intricacies of biomechanics and the way that all the ways that speed is developed and stuff. Maybe you got to know your kids a little better. And maybe you should read a book about mentoring and influence and how you should listen better. And those things ironically can make your athletes a lot better than actually knowing, you know, the VO two max and all these things that have to do with what we're trying about important. Sure. But maybe not as important as we give them credit to. So that leads me to, I guess, training, because the one thing that everybody is going to be talking about, and you and I were even talking about it. And I really hope I'm not bringing something up. That's might be a curveball to you, but we were talking about just real briefly, this Olympic, kind of model of the way that our sport and that's the highest level. And I've been interviewing a lot of athletes. So we get to the high school world that I live in and I send my, my kids, my elite ones off to college and to you, and you are now training these athletes and they hopefully, or if one day move on to a higher level, you know, and then they continue to go. So, you know, what is it about Olympic model and what is your observation, especially since we just came off of a summer Olympics? Well, I, I have some people might think it's a controversial take. Some people might not, but, you know, professional track and field. And I think this is what you're alluding to, like the highest level, right? 
in terms of, I believe the longevity of our sport and the, and the survival of our sport, I truly believe at the end of the day, the Olympic model is not sustainable in terms of professionalism of the sport. And I say that in this regard, and some stuff is just obvious, but you know, the whole adage of why is the most important event in our sport in, in a sport only taking place in a four year cycle. Right. But then you've also got the world championships that allegedly is equivalent. And that happens every two to three years. And then there's these sub championships like the Commonwealth games, the Pan American games. That's, that's important to this country, but it's not important to that country. And then there's the exclusivity of as well. Like the premier events in our sport are only run eight people at a time. You cannot grow a sport with eight people at a time at a macro level to like, we were lucky that Usain Bolt came along. We got lucky to have a personality and a figure like that to make the sport as pos as popular as it was for that period of time in his career. We got lucky at the end of the day, professional, like we have professional models of sport that we choose to ignore. And every single year, there's the Stanley cup. There's the world series. There's the Super Bowl, you know, there's the Super Rugby Championships, there's a Premier League Championship. That stuff takes place every single year. And by the way, you might have your favorite player, but everybody has their allegiance to a team and an organization. And that's where the money is. It doesn't matter what the name on the jersey is. I'm going to buy a Boston Red Sox jersey every single year. If a new player comes in, I'm going to buy his jersey right? If people are always going to buy Chicago Bulls jerseys. Yeah, Michael Jordan is the greatest bull in history, but he was, he retired decades ago, but people are still Chicago Bulls fans. They're going to root for them through and through. And also, by the way, with that model of sport, the ninth person on the bench, people know his or her name. They, they're important. Those are role players, right? You know, you need to know who the backup quarterback is. So that's what I mean. In order for this sport to grow and in order for athletes to get more opportunities, we need to professionalize the sport and we need to go to a really a team model. And another controversial take, I think the professional future is indoor track and field, not outdoor track and field. Because in terms of media, there's a lot more flexibility in what you can do logistically. There's a lot more flexibility in what you can do graphically from a presentation standpoint. And you can make two to 3,000 people look like 20 to 30,000 people in an indoor venue. And at the end of the day, where is the money in professional sports? Television, media, streaming. It's not the gate. It's not the prize money per se. Like, you know where like all the money comes from with salaries is TV deals. Like years ago when the NBA, you saw this explosion of like the seventh guy on the bench getting $10 million, $12 million and the top guys getting 40. You know why? It was a new television deal. That's why. And that's how they negotiate the new collective bargaining. The NFL collective bargaining is coming up. They're, they're negotiating a new television deal. It's going to make salaries skyrocket, right? If you want to market the sport, 
you have to market from a professional sports organization standpoint. So i.e. the Chicago Striders, right? The, 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 the Beantown Bombers, right? And we have to get away from, well, Nike, the Nike camp or the Reebok camp or the Adidas camp. You don't have that in professional football, baseball, basketball. That money is secondary to the salary that you get playing the sport and, the, and other sponsorships. That's really where it's at, right? And, and it doesn't matter who your personal coach is. Whoever's the coach of the Chicago Striders, that's your head coach. That's how it works. And we should probably be on TV every Tuesday night. Tuesday night should be track Tuesday. And you should have a series of track races all across the country in major cities, metropolitan areas. And, hey, oh, wouldn't you know it? Oh, on Sunday, Rye Benjamin got traded from the Beantown Bombers to the Chicago Striders, and he suits, he suits up on Tuesday. And he's going to be using their relay. How cool would that sound? You get something on the wire. Oh, bombshell of a <laughs> bombshell of a trade. Cole Hawker got traded for two draft two draft picks and Ryan Krauser. Yeah, right stuff like that. That's professional sports. Well, and you're also opening it up to more international, where it doesn't have to be yeah. them and us, or even us and them. It to now be like I'm running now next to and with. Carson Warholm, you know, and, and he's mm-hmm. now training and working with a particular group and coach because he wants to, because let's be honest, who's coaching yep. professional athletes, college coaches that love their kids yep. so much and do it for free and give them a facility to do it. That doesn't have and to be the model. By the way, and that's exact, that's more of my point. The closest thing that we have to a professional model in the world is United States NCAA collegiate athletics. That's the closest thing that we have. A, a professional model is an organization that takes care, like for them, like takes care of a salary. In this case, it's a scholarship that takes care of your food, takes care of your housing through the scholarship, takes care of your athletic training, takes care of your physical training, takes care of your SNC, takes care of your massage, physio, all that. Where do you see that? In collegiate, athletic, collegiate athletics, the university system. That's like a best case scenario for the top 1% of professional quote unquote track and field athletes. A majority of them are with the collegiate coach. They're with a training group where they're kind of like on the back burner. They don't have access to athletic training. They don't have access to physio. They don't have real access to strength conditioning. They don't have a real facility. They're going to a high school track or a college track. They don't, it's not from a professional standpoint, it's not a sustainable model. Like, I have a young man on my team that we're working our butts off to be an Olympian for Great Britain, and I believe he will in time. I should be setting him up to be drafted in the professional in the professional circuit draft when he graduates. That should be our goal is to be a top five draft pick, right? Because at the end of the day, let's say, God forbid, a student athlete, and this has happened more times than not, and people could probably name some people right now, it's an Olympic year, and you got hurt, and you missed your window, and you've been training for three years, and you twist your ankle, you pull your hamstring, you, you know, tear your pectoral, whatever, and you missed your window for the Olympics. So does that mean it's over, and you got to wait and do another four-year cycle? Or in professional athletic, 
professional athletics, it's, oh, you missed that season, you're back next season, back at. The, the Olympic model of professional sports doesn't make sense. If the Olympics is your standard for the apex, then it's not, in my mind, truly a professional professional sport. In hockey, that might seem like the apex, that's secondary. That's a bonus for hockey players. In soccer, how many times have we seen like premier guys not be allowed to participate in the Olympics because of the contract that they're under? In the NBA, I mean, it's a bonus. Guys are opting out left and right. Why? Because there's a lot of money that they could lose if they get hurt playing in a FIBA game. So I'll tell you what, everyone's like, oh, well, Usain Bolt wouldn't do it. But I'll tell you what, if Usain Bolt had a contract for $25 million a year to for a specific professional sports team, that's where his allegiance would probably lie. Probably. <laughs> Uh-huh. Not this dream of getting in the middle. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying do away with the Olympics. The Olympics is still a thing. In it's just a byproduct of it. But it's, it's a just, byproduct. Yeah, 100%. I I'm not saying that the Olympics, should. we should do away with it. Keep the Olympics. Keep it. Let's keep USA versus Jamaica in the real. Let's keep that. But, hey, wouldn't it be kind of cool if USA versus Jamaica versus Japan versus China, wouldn't it be kind of cool if a lot of those guys were actually on the same team during the professional circuit. Yeah. Or like, all the time. Like, yeah. Or like soccer, we have the world cup yeah. every four years, but yet yeah. those, those professional teams for a second break up and go back to their countries. Whereas you're I mean, think about the records or the opportunities for people to do things where they don't have to travel to Serbia or travel yeah. to all their different parts of the world to do a race. They can do it here. And we have the infrastructure and the money and the track. I'll tell you this. I have a public school track where ESPN just did a track meet. It was with the American track league before the Olympics. We yeah. can host it. I mean, my gosh, my dual meets are a bigger deal than most of these meets. They just have to set up cameras. I have way more people on my dual meets. I have 300 and some people, whereas doing all kinds of things where you bring in a group, they're going to run the hundred. We'll wait for the TV to get ready. These kids and these guys and girls will do it much better. And it'd be a lot more fun to watch these international four by ones race one, one another. And then when the Olympics comes around, they go back to their countries. Yeah. But again, going back to a full team. So you've got these guys, like guys from different countries that are best in the world, but you've also got a long jumper from South Africa. You, you have a hammer thrower from uh, Hungary. You've got all, all these, and it's, it's up to the team, how they want to model. And there's a point system, right? There's, some sort of point, like a dual meets point sports system. Yeah. And you figure out a way to dress it up and make it digestible to the public because at the end of the day, it is entertainment, right? I think what the IAAF is doing with the whole, like, oh, oh we're, we're going to reshuffle the long jump and the horizontal jumps. Based on the current model, that's stupid. It's stupid. Based on the current model. If that model took place in an actual professional setting with consistent teams, I could probably buy in, but uh-huh. contextually it's stupid, right? So that's my that's my hard take in terms of moving forward. Now, don't get me wrong. There, I think like what Paul Doyle with the American is doing with the American Track League is monumental. I love what he's doing and what his goal is, and he's trying to professionalize it more. He's trying to get more um, media coverage with deals with ESPN. I think if anyone in the sport is doing what they can to truly professionalize it, it's Paul Doyle right now. 
I give him all the credit in the world. But I wish someone would also jump in on the bandwagon and say, what's the next step to professionalizing this? Is an actual draft, actual teams, actual home facilities in major cities, right? Like that's what it takes. That's why so many professional teams are where? In major metropolitan areas with high per capita density that you can get people to come to games on a games or contests on a consistent basis. No disrespect to, you know, the Fayettevilles and college stations of the world, you know, that's how it's set up right now. And they do a phenomenal job. I'm strictly speaking to the professionalism side of the sport and how to move it forward. Oh, no, I'm with you. Cause what you're, what you're alluding to is we see a high school model feed into a college model that feeds into nothing. It's just this cliff where they just jump in. Yeah. Yeah. And then now we have, the best of the best, and some of them, yeah. the best who have ever been volunteering as assistant coaches at USC, which I just saw Rob Benjamin and Michael Norman yeah. doing, because that's where they train and that's where they need to be on campus. So we'll give them yeah. no money so they can just be here. It's like we're having to find these yeah. workarounds and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the only groups that are trying to be as professional as they can is like Altus, you know, formerly in Phoenix, now in Atlanta. Like, you know, they do it as a model of a, of a team and, they have a team of coaches. They have a team of phys- physiotherapists, massage therapists. They have a home base. They have all this stuff. I think there are good training groups, um, but they aren't, they're not as well-rounded as far as, you know, resources and logistics. Right. Um, but again, the, the blueprint is there in the four major sports and you know where it starts you got to convince a conglomerate of billionaires that this is a good investment. And then they make the, that's what it is in the NHL, major league baseball, the NFL, the NBA. It's a conglomerate of billionaires that they think it's a good investment to invest in sport, make it entertaining. And thus you get TV deals, ticket sales, revenue, merchandising, like the models there. And we have chosen to ignore it. In the, for the entire history of our sport. And if we it want our sport to grow, if we want kids yes. to be excited, it's not me doing a youth camp on the side, you know, at the park yeah. with a couple kids and teaching them how to run fast. It's about actually having, how about this? I'll tell you, we'll end with this. My high school athletes, God bless them, love the sport. They love track and field and they can't tell you who their favorite athletes are because they just no. don't know them. And so, you know, a big part of this podcast is let's get these people on here so we can be fans of them and they can know who they are and they can know that these are people you should look up to because they're just as valuable, if not more, because they do the sport and at the highest level of what you're doing right now. So this is great. Here's my, here's my biggest thing. What I'm saying about like professionalism, this is me advocating for athletes in the sport. A 45 second quarter miler should have somewhere to go after he graduates. <laughs> yeah. A 51 5 female quarter miler should have somewhere to go after she graduates, right? A 60 meter discus thrower should have somewhere to go after he or she graduates. A 18 foot pole vaulter should have somewhere to go after he graduates. In our current model, they have nowhere to go. Unless, again, every single year, the most money goes to the winner of the 100-meter dash at the NCAAs and maybe the mile. And whoever the top field event athlete 
is that year. Those are the, those are the two, three people that get the money. Everyone else who literally are running top 10 to 20 world-class times have nowhere to go when they're done. Yeah, they can't make money that, unless they they're can't. good looking, unless they have a lot of media followers, unless they, I yep. mean, it's all these criteria that just doesn't allow them. And they're not, to be quite honest, they're not marketable according to these, no. these sponsors. And the sponsors are, should be, again, to use that word, a byproduct. I mean, Nike is yep. something LeBron James wants, but LeBron James makes money playing basketball, not yep. from the sponsorship, which is the exact yep. reverse. It's almost like track yep. and field has not not aged, you know, like everything yeah. else. Whereas like, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that there was Olympics where unless you were a good, a collegiate athlete, you went to the Olympics, you got a gold medal and then you came home and became an insurance salesman, which is something. Yeah. And then you started playing, playing keyboards in the back yeah. of the church because that's all you knew how to do. And right now yeah. I'm talking about a guy named Rex Colley who I was moving him and I opened a, a drawer and I found his gold medal from the Tokyo or from the Mexico, <laughs> Mexico Olympics. I go, what is this? And he's like, oh, that's where it is. And I was like, what? Wow. And he's like, yeah, well, um, I had to get a job when I after I did that. You know, like I came home and yeah. it seems like 50 years later, same thing. You know, it's, we're yeah. still still dealing with the same stuff. Yeah, there is money to be made in our sport. It really is one of the most popular sports in the world. And we've chosen to just buy into this Olympic dream and say, oh, and it's like, oh, this is the fantasy. This is the top tier. It's like, no, there's more to be done, right? In every professional sport, the primary source of income for the athlete is the salary that they get for actually doing their sport and everything else is auxiliary. And of course you have the outliers of the LeBron Jameses of the world and the Dak Prescotts of the world and the Aaron Rodgers of the world, but most everybody else, their primary source of income is the salary that they get from performing their sport. Not a Nike contract, not an Adidas contract, not a New Balance contract. Those are all bonuses to every other athlete right. in, in true professional sports. Well, this podcast became a hot take of my favorite <laughs> conversation of all time. Um, Coach, we got to talk about more. I mean, I didn't even get to any of these you know, other questions I wanted, but yeah. this was so fun to talk about. And I do try to keep the podcast short enough where people can like digest it in one sitting. So real quick, where can we follow you and your athlete success? Where can we continue just to learn more about what you're trying to do at BU? Well, first, my personal social media handle is uh, at Coach G Sanders. Very simple. Coach G Sanders. That's on Twitter. That's on uh, Instagram. Um, but more importantly, you can find BU Track and Field, Boston University Track and Field is Terrier TFXC on social media handles on uh, uh, Instagram and, and, and uh, uh, Twitter as well. So check us out there. GoTerriers.com is our home website. Check us out there. We've got some really, really exciting stuff happening in the trenches. Um, we're trying to really, again, become the standard of athletic and academic excellence. And we we're starting right now with some young kids in the trenches that are starting to do that. Well, you had to do it from, you know, basically COVID on up. And you literally started it from <laughs> no, ground dude. zero, if not below that. And you're doing good stuff. And I really appreciate you. I appreciate the way you you kind of are an advocate for the, the sport in general, but also for your university and your kids. You're doing good work, man. And if I can affirm and encourage you in any of that, um, I'm happy to. And so 
Um, yeah, this pro this podcast is brought to you by OnTrackAndField.com. Stick around, and you can find out about how to get in contact with us and our social media accounts, including RelayBatons.com. And Coach Sanders is going to receive a kind of nice little thank you, you know, engraved something or other mug or cup or something just from doing this podcast because we appreciate him. And um, that's RelayBatons.com does that for him. So on track and field. Thanks for listening to the On Track and Field podcast with this week's guest, Coach Gabe Sanders, and our host, Coach JT Ayers. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved water bottles and tumblers, and meet and competition legal relay batons, and OnTrackAndField.com. Everything you need for track and field, whether you're an athlete or a coach, and save up to 15% when you enter Track Talk at checkout. OnTrackAndField.com. If you know someone you feel might be a great guest on the On Track and Field podcast, call Call us at 800-297-6999. That's 800-297-6999. And make sure to follow us on our socials at OnTrack, the letter N, field, at OnTrack and Field.